Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Crime and Investigation podcast. My name is Martin Hines and it's actually a very good time for you to be listening to this podcast right now as there are so many fantastic shows on our channel. Fans of The Jail, 60 Days In and Homicide Hunter are very excited about their new episodes while we also see the return of Britain's darkest taboos. Psychologist and therapist Emma Kenny has been a key component on taboos and she's back for the new series alongside Mark Williams-Thomas and David Swindle. Together, they're examining some of the most harrowing stories in British crime. After many requests from our fans on social media and further afield, it's a thrill to say that Emma Kenny finally joins us on the Crime Investigation podcast. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. The pleasure is all ours. And I do have to say, you have been the most requested guest to be on this show by our fans on social media. They've been getting on for a year to have you on, so it's an absolute thrill to have you here. I'm actually thrilled that I'm finally here. I think there's been some massive miscarriage of justice where I should have been doing regular podcasts and you haven't had me. I was beginning to worry. I think I even emailed somebody about it. I got that email. Do you know about that? <laughs> the people have spoken, and indeed the powers of you have spoken, and you are here. First of all, I guess, just talk about crime investigation, because you're a big part of our channel. Uh, you're on our shows, and obviously you're on our podcast now. Sure. Written articles, indeed, for the website in the past. What is it about crime investigation that you feel so proud about being, being a part of? I think one of the things that I absolutely love about CI and taboos in general, is firstly, I was there from the very beginning. So I can remember the concept, I can remember the ideas behind it, the motivation behind it. I can also remember sitting in that tiny little office doing the first series, you know, because we didn't have a budget, realistically. And then just being able to watch that grow and fundamentally the empathy that the public share with us. One of the things that I think is amazing about CI Full Start, the Crime Investigation Channel, alerts in human beings that sense that there are things that go wrong in the world and there are bad people but having an interest in it can firstly equip you and secondly having an empathy reminds you of your compassion as a human being so it's kind of that whole manifestation of categories and ingredients that make working with CI probably if I'm really honest it's always been my favorite and it will continue to be my favorite experience. Absolutely. I think as we approach season seven, I believe, uh, I mean, most shows, they're lucky if they get a series, a full series. So why Taboos in particular, do you think it's it's stayed the course so long and remains a musty show for crime enthusiasts? From my perspective, I think what 
Britain's Darkest Taboos does is it tells the stories for the victim. It gives honour to that story, it credibility because the families are involved, and I think the public see that it's not just the voyeuristic experience that exploiting people. And I think sometimes in TV, when you watch programmes, you can kind of feel that the humans haven't been cared for. I always know at the end of a Taboos that the parents or the sisters or the brothers or the partners of the victim feel that they've had their story validated, and I think that's where its power is. And of course, people like analysis. I think me sitting there and Dave sitting there and previously people like Kerry who just are talking about what they think is going on. It doesn't make it fact, but I think it's interesting to be able to have that dialogue with the public so they can agree or disagree with you. Talk talk to us about the new series um, and what can we expect from this that perhaps we haven't seen in in previous iterations? I think the new series is as explosive as previously, but we have had a slight change. For example, the first show is going to go through previous taboos and explore kind of the impact we personally felt on that and also to talk about what's coming up. One of the most important things I think about this series is it just continues that understanding, empathy and essentially the reignition of recognition in people that this stuff happens, that people aren't just names in papers, that families are affected. And again, like I said, it just reinforces whenever I start a series of taboos, what I'm always reinforced by is the fact that I still feel shock. There are still moments where I'll read about a case, for example, you know, cases where sons have killed their mothers. And as I grow into a mother who's got teenage children, suddenly I'm in a position where I'm looking at it through a different set of eyes. I'm actually looking at it through a mother's set of eyes and thinking how and why. And so I suppose what I find really enchanting about being involved with all the series, but this series again, is that you're constantly reaffirming, firstly, the good in human nature because of all the families that are involved. But secondly, the fact that no matter how professional you are, no matter how many times you hear a victim story, you're always moved by the new people that you encounter in these kind of series and it blows me away. And this series particularly has had some absolutely shocking stories that hopefully people will tune in to see and also empathise with. Yeah, for sure there's some tremendously upsetting but ultimately important episodes. And you mentioned the first one there where Mark Williams Thomas joins you and David. That's right. So kind of examine the mindset of a murderer and what makes someone a murderer, I guess. Yeah, what's really interesting with Mark is that he and I have very different views. We have completely different views. I'll put it out there and I'd I'd say it to Mark's face. We are not of the same mind a lot of the time and that's good. It's great that completely disagree with him on lots of things. But I think that that's what's rich and what's about the press. You know, when we're going out into media and we're talking about things on TV, it's terrible when everybody has the same mindset because I guarantee I'll be thinking of one thing and Mark will be thinking of a completely different thing. To some degree, Dave's nicely in the middle, to be fair. He's kind of nicely in the middle. He's maybe got that kind of much more... um, You can kind of see both sides of it. I guess that's what police do. I guess that's what coppers do. You know, they have to. They have to see the guilty, they have to see the innocent. Whereas I'm like more, I'm going straight for guilty or innocent and Mark is the same. But it's been nice bringing him in because obviously as an investigative journalist and ex-copper himself, he's an individual that sheds again another shade to the story. I think with taboos, that's been probably the thing that's made it so good is it's kept growing and evolving and changing and sometimes that's difficult for the public you know when we lose an expert for example who's been amazing the public actually feel a real sense of grief but it's all about moving forward so we can continue to provide viewers with these amazing stories you can't stay the same you have to evolve you have to change 
You talk about moving forward, but let's take a step back in the life of Ron McKenney. <laughs> <laughs> when did this interest in crime begin? When did you become fascinated with the subject? And of course, how did that kind of supplement into what you're doing now? Oh, goodness me, where does it all begin? It begins as a teenager. It begins when I was sent to a psychologist. It begins when I realised that people didn't know how necessarily in services to talk to young people. And then thinking about my own journey through that kind of situation and then training and getting involved in therapeutic intervention and meeting people who had ex experienced incredible emotional discourse and harm. So most of the work that I did was with people who'd been highly sexually abused, sexually exploited, working with sex workers, gangs, all of those kind of extremes. And it just from day one, when I started doing voluntary youth work at like 17 and then went to university and carried on doing that, Back in the day when they allowed people without criminal checks to do all of those and kids were allowed into schools to help other kids. You know, I was like 17, 18 and I started volunteering for the local authority working with troubled teens in schools. And one, I found out I could do it. And secondly, I found out that people's stories are just unbelievable. And whilst I see it from the victim's perspective and I'm kind of obsessed with making people feel that they can be equipped to move forward and feel hopeful and progressive and that nothing that happens to you in your past, if you have a past, you know, if you're lucky enough to contain that past, because obviously in taboos, some people aren't lucky enough to have a future. But, you know, certainly for my victims, trying to help them to see that actually let's let go of that harm, let go of that, the power that those individuals have over you so you can live a better life. That was my kind of hook, my addiction. Because I come from the other angle, We've got Dave talking about the forensic side and the crime side. I'm much more the empath, you know, the person who talks about the victims and how that feels. And I think that for me, it began because I saw that there was a lack of people out there who know how to talk to people and to hear stories. Does that make sense? You can have the most qualified, most academic person, but can they sit in a room and can they convince another human being to trust them enough to change the way they feel and to give them the hope that there is a future that can be full of good things. I think that's why I love it, because I work constantly in a condition of hope outside of when I'm talking about programmes like that. There are often pivotal moments in people's lives, and you mentioned you were sent to a psychologist. Yeah, as a teen, so I was sent to a psychiatrist a first. Psychiatrist. Can you tell us a little bit about oh, why? Oh, yeah, you're sure. Um, so I was sent to a psychiatrist because I refused to go to school. I was a massive truant, and my behaviour was maybe a little bit shall we say, less than acceptable as far as my school were concerned, but they felt that I had this really great character and that I was they didn't find me difficult as a child, they found me difficult to control yeah. in school. So what they thought about me was that my nature was very different to what I was demonstrating in school. So the way that they handled that was to think that maybe there was something that needed to be dealt with in me. So I sent first of all to a psychiatrist who assessed me and said, she's just completely fine. It's just that she has a very specific way of feeling that she should be educated and you're not doing it the way she wants. And then the psychologist I was sent to because obviously they wanted to try to get me back into school. And I mean, I used to go sometimes you know I, I didn't go anywhere near as much as I should I wish Google had been invented to be honest I'd have definitely got straight A's and everything but what what really struck me was my my couple of years when I was going with my mum to see the psychologist and 15 minutes at the end of every session she'd sit down and she'd have all of the things I'd said explained so I never told him a thing and I remembered thinking one day when I was about probably about 15 I remember saying to my mum in the kitchen just don't think it's very good, this. And she was like, why? And I said, I just don't think that... I don't think professionals know how to speak to kids. And she said to me, uh, maybe you should do it. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'll do it. And it's ridiculous. Who makes decisions? I'm like, but that's what I did. And then the joy has been that it's such a privilege to work with people. And I also know that everyone's a mess. Yeah. And I mean that in the most beautiful way. 
you know, human beings are messy. You mentioned that, so it's interesting how you went from kind of never going to school, not being interested in the sure. academic system, and you end up with a degree and yeah. lots more kind of accolades like yeah. that. So was it that, was it purely that your mum saying to you, why not do this, that kind of got you back into education in the swing of things? Well, she didn't get me back into education, right. but she definitely had an impact on the fact that I thought that she felt that I could do it. And I think that anybody out there who's got a relationship where they want to impress their parents to some degree, even if they're a bit of a mess, you kind of hear those things. But it was more that when I went to university, I basically transferred in my first year to psychology. Um, I actually went to study something else because... What was that? What subject? <laughs> women's studies. Oh, okay. Whatever they'd accept me for. Because remember, I hadn't been to school for a long time. I got my grades, but yeah. I didn't get my grades for the course that I wanted at that university. So I went, but I knew, I've always been quite savvy, I knew that if I worked really hard and took extra subjects, I could change. And that's exactly what I did. And what I found was that nobody knew me, nobody had any assumptions about me, Nobody had any history that they could condemn me over. Nobody had any assumptions that they could make for me. Suddenly, it was like being given this brand new slate. And I was considered clever and I was considered compassionate and I was considered bright in all of those ways. And it was a shock because it was something that I'd never felt. Um, I'd won a place to a, a, a school when I was 11 that I should never have really gone to because my parents really couldn't afford it. I got a special place, which meant that it was very, very low fees because I, my parents didn't earn money. But really, I should have just gone to the local comp. I think I'd have thrived there. But university changed everything. And it, and it sparked my belief that education begins for different people at different times. You know, I consider myself very intelligent now, but I really wasn't. I was really quite stupid when I was a young person, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think that that, again, has really helped me to understand human potential in a different way. I think a lot of people watching CI have the same mindset in that you never stop learning no. as an adult at any point in your life. And, and our shows hopefully manage to educate people about crimes, dangers, stories Absolutely. or whatever, things like that. Is that important to you that, that now you're kind of telling stories and you're helping people who have gone through some of the most difficult situations possible? Personally, the privilege I have always felt, either in the most simplest of form when I've been asked to comment, for example, on something in the press, right through to the amazing opportunities I've had with taboos, just being able to bring stories to life, I just find it a massive honour and privilege. I really do. I think that the families trust us with so much. On a personal level, in answer to your question, I suppose, I suppose when I think about it, we're there to educate to a degree, which is this stuff happens. Very often, as you see... It's abusive relationships. What can we give through the show that could hopefully spark and trigger the reactions of a viewer? Look, I have hundreds of emails and lots and lots of personal messages from individuals who've watched the show and said, wow, I was abused as a young person or my sister was murdered. So we're reaching out. Sometimes we can't prevent things, but hopefully... For example, recently I got an email off a girl whose parent mother is in an abusive relationship she just wanted some tips because she just doesn't feel like she can help her so yeah we are informing the public and um, i think as well people who are in situations that are less than perfect you're always looking for permission to take action but you have to almost hear somebody saying you have permission yeah. and that's what taboos i think is really good at i think we say constantly throughout the shows this case is so tragic because abc but the ABC is essentially a route that you can take to remove yourself and extricate yourself from those difficulties. Is it ever difficult for you, though, psychologically, in that you're having complete strangers? And, and it's nice, I guess, they, they feel that they can speak to you and approach you, seeing you on screen and reading your stuff, but is it ever tough that 
you're seen as this authority figure. Like, does, it, does, that, does that put pressure on you as a person? I actually think that people get in touch with me because they don't think I'm an authority figure. Oh, interesting. I think they get in touch with me because they see me as very human. And I think that that is the one thing that I've always retained. I do not see myself as an authority. Mm. I see myself as someone who understands human mess and discourse and pain and fear and courage. I understand all of those emotions and I think I express that really effectively on the show. The only gift I ever got was communication. If the world was based on mathematics, I would literally be homeless. I have no capacity for it. But when it comes down to human feeling, I get it. So I think when people get in touch with me, sometimes people do it in a quite a demanding way as if they expect something back. But very often it's more of a, I know you're very busy, but if you can, or if you have time, and my husband will regularly say to me, you know, you need to be careful because you'll devote quite a lot of time to these kind of emails and stuff. But I just think to myself, if you can reach out to somebody in pain, even if it's a one-line direction to a service that can help them, it gives them a sense that they've been visible. And I think that so many people in painful situations feel invisible. So on a personal level, I'd say, you can't go into the field that I've gone into and be real and authentic and genuine unless you're willing to meet people in that way. So I think I don't feel a pressure. I just feel this incredible privilege. I will say that till I die, genuinely. I can't believe, even in therapeutic intervention work, I can't believe that human beings come in and sit with me and then tell me their story. Because that's so, so powerful. And I think we underestimate the courage it takes to do that. It's the same with the families' interviews. Yeah, absolutely. There'll be people listening to this who, like you say, are going through issues, whether it's themselves personally or people they know, all aspects of abuse uh, abuse across all, all manner of things. Are there any key particular piece of advice you would give someone listening to this now who, who maybe like you say hasn't felt the confidence or the ability or the knowledge to speak and say this is how I'm feeling this is what I'm going through what are the key things that somebody should be doing to kind of try and improve their situations I mean I think in any situation if you know that you're in a less than perfect relationship let's take a domestically abusive relationship then understand that it's completely normal to feel frozen that's why people stay secondly also recognise that people like me know that the reason that you don't leave isn't because you're stupid and willing to accept the abuse. Very often, people in abusive situations simply find themselves in love with a partner who at times is abusive. They're not abusive all the time, but it's helping to gain that confidence and recognise that no matter how much you're in love and how much you care for them or how afraid you are of them, there are options. And some of those options involve simply speaking to the domestic abuse helpline or speaking to your local shelter, anywhere that can kind of help to extricate you, but also confiding in family members and just getting your personal effects together. I know that sounds really small, but a lot of women stay and a lot of men stay in abusive relationships because they haven't got a passport, they haven't got a bank account, they haven't got any kind of driving licence or anything that could go and get them a place to stay. They don't have an identity. So I think one of the other things you've got to do is try to be planning and resourceful, get people on side and make yourself safe. And when it comes down to people who just have general discourse, because obviously in abusive situations, what I really want is to make people safe, get them away, get them the help then that they can have, which is things like counselling. But if you're just a human being who knows that something is going on inside you and the idea of talking to a therapist or talking to a psychologist to get a referral is terrifying, first of all, remember, there are loads of apps out there that can help you. But secondly, on a personal level, go around, ring around therapists, interview them, and find the one that you just go, oh, 
this person just sounds like somebody I could connect with. Because yeah. I think that that's the biggest problem with therapy and psychology per se. You get referred to someone, but that someone may be somebody that you would never share your life with. Yeah. So you have to think about being discerning. Go and find somebody that you really like. From your from your perspective, having done this for so many years, yeah. a lot of people have opinions on your... Not you personally, but, but your job, your your way of living, how how you guys do your do your thing. What are the biggest misconceptions from your line of work? That I'm oh my god, the biggest the biggest misconception is um, I'm rich, and the <laughs> not a bad I, not a bad one to have. That's that's the biggest. That is just for everybody out there listening right now. That is the biggest misconception. Secondly, that I'm middle class, which I probably am now because of my profession. But I come from a really ordinary working class background. Um, also, people assume I live in London. I don't. I'm still Manchester born and bred. And I think one of the big things is that people assume um, that <laughs> that my life has been simple to some degree. And it hasn't been. And that's good. That's what makes an interesting story. What about the idea that you have all the answers? Well, I like to think I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have... I think one of the things that's interesting, because sometimes when I'm talking on taboos, I'll say something and afterwards I think, I wonder whether that came across as a, as a fact instead of an opinion. And I think that one of the things that I often have on my social media, for example, is I'll have dialogues with people because I actually know that I have very strong opinions. As I said, not so long ago, Mark and I have very different opinions. And I'm quite happy to have those. doesn't make them right, though. So I think that people are right to question me, and I get that, and it's good that I get that, because one of the things that I constantly accept is that when somebody has a really good point, I'm like, I am going to have that point now because I'm really always learning and I'm quite happy to do that. You wear a lot of hats, TV. I know. do. I run a tech company as well. You're a tech company, writer, all these sort of things. Is it, is it difficult? And of course, having a family as well. Is it ever difficult to go, you know, to separate Emma Kenny, the professional, from Emma I Kenny? I sold the, the kids. That's what, that's what I did. Is that I another, another misconception? Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm not actually. I sold them. It's all fine. Um, made a lot of money. No, um, so, no, my kids, my kids are my priority. They've always been my priority. But life happens. And when they were two and four, um, my marriage broke down. So the consequence of that was I was only working three days a week. I was running this like mental health service of college. It was a great little job, but it certainly wasn't going to pay the bills. And I suddenly had to make a change to my world. And TV actually saved me. I mean, television, the first series that I did, which was like 11 years ago, it changed everything. So it's very busy, but I am so lucky. I'm really blessed. I, the fact that I can write articles for people, the fact that I can be seen as somebody who has a, a heart, I suppose, and the fact that, you know, when I'm dead and gone, somewhere on the internet, there'll be, like, little series that, that they can watch of me. It means that I'm still kind of still here. I kind of love all of those feelings. Um, I am really busy. But then I think that if you want to get a good job done, my mum always says, ask a busy person. You know, I think mm. that being busy is actually a really good thing. Um, I would like to have another 24 days every week, but I can't have that, so I accept it. Life goes fast, but I think it's full. Um, of course, there is nothing better than sitting down with my kids on a Sunday and having a dog walk and a nice meal. But Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're winding down this podcast now, but I have to mention you spoke about the internet. And Emma, <laughs> Emma Kenny on the internet is talked about. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people discuss you. A lot of people love you. Some people have criticisms, as I'm of sure course. you well know. She's not a PhD is the usual criticism. <laughs> How does that make you feel in the... Listen, we could talk about your army all day. And like I say, yeah. the, the fans get to us on, on Twitter at CI. That they tweet us every single day. Where's Emma Kenny? We want more Emma Kenny. Yeah, I love... I love- CI fans. I love my Twitter family. I call them my Twitter family because they are incredibly supportive. And I don't just mean with my TV. I mean, I I don't really have one of those um, Twitter profiles where experts put lots of information about other experts. So it's kind of just like my own personal. You'll get a picture of my dog. Um, And I suppose when I started in TV, I'd always wanted to kind of be very clear about what I did, and, and I always was. Um, psychologist is a term that I'm entitled to use, and I, and I use it, and the BPS just had me as a keynote speaker. So I don't have an issue with being credible. You know, as far as they're concerned, I'm taking media psychology to a whole new level, and I'm incredibly thankful for that kind of recognition because it's taken a long time. I can remember when I was younger, though, you know, 11 years ago, and uh, I can remember reading. I didn't really have a big media kind of presence. I didn't start Twitter till a few years ago, etc. But I remember reading these horrible things about me on Digital Spy and being like, the only good thing is they weren't that too negative about the way I looked. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, there you go. That's a woman who looks like, you know, she's not 96 and therefore, you know, she's got a job in TV, which is so totally misogynistic and just says a lot about human, you know, human nature in the UK regarding women and their abilities. But we'll put that to the side. I suppose reading that then, I just made this really... And then there was this just... This is even funnier. There was this huge Wikipedia thing where somebody wrote a thing about Wikipedia on me... And it was nice, and then somebody altered it all and didn't quote any of my real qualifications. They just quoted my degree. They didn't quote any of my advanced qualifications, my 12 years therapeutic, my master's. They didn't, didn't do any of that. My research, none of it. It was all really negative. And then I thought, oh, who cares? The work never stopped. I proved myself by my voice. I proved myself by my analysis and my care and compassion. I don't care what people think of me. My Twitter family, of course we get into debates. That's what makes it so great, but they're so lovely. I adore my Twitter family, and I adore what what that democratic space does. Um, You do get negatives. You do get people who troll you. You just block them. Who cares? You go for the block rather than the mute. I block them or I respond. If it's somebody that I genuinely think is being nasty with me... um, I will sometimes respond nicely. And I've actually often picked up a few followers doing that because people are humans and they have an idea of you and then they meet you in a different space and actually you're not that person. So that's one way. But most of the time I'll just block it. And that's not because I'm afraid of it. I don't care. It'll still be out there. What I think is that um, I like the good side of human nature. I accept the bad. But I don't need to have it ringing in my ears. And I don't take it seriously, personally anymore. I think resilience is something that grows. Has it made you hate eggs? <laughs> no, I, I like, I like, do you know what? Genuinely, I love Twitter. Yeah. I love Twitter because I consider it part of my extended cyber world family. Yeah. And like 
just had some recent tragedies. The first people who were there with like words and sharing experiences are people who were in the cyber world. I never thought I'd have said that, yeah. but they're incredible. And I think CI fans, genuinely CI fans, considering it's a crime and investigation channel, yeah. and we're watching quite scary and quite terrifying stuff. They're like the kindest people. I wonder whether that's one of our demographics, groups of kind people who can't imagine why people act that way, so need to know. Exactly. They just want to know why, how, what, exactly. where. And that curiosity, I think, comes onto social media. And they just want to make a better change for the world. I think that's the most important I thing. agree. I agree. And I think what's great about crime and investigation, I say this to everybody, I'm like, they did it first. They did it first. You can all come and get me to do bits and bobs for you, but you're never going to be CI because that was all the dedication was about. You know, you can do shows and you can take it terrestrial channels. You can do all that. It's never going to be the same because your obsession, CI's obsession, was always about this. And they saw it so early on. And, of course, we're interested. We're interested in the dark side of humanity as much as we are the light side. In fact, you can't have one without the other. You can't have the good without the evil. One final question. You've researched a lot of crime, a lot of criminals. Is there anybody in the past, the present, not the future, of course? That, <laughs> well, in the future. The re- <laughs> is there one mind you'd most like to have a sit oh, down God. and unravel? Of, of, of everybody that, that you've heard of, that there's you've known so of? There's so many. I'll, I'll be honest with you, there's so many. More, most recently, I'd love a conversation with Lewis Danes. I really would. It very badly affected me, Brett dying. It very, very badly affected me. My son's the same age. He does the same kind of things. She was an amazing parent. She did everything right. And I think Lewis Danes is an example of a potential serial killer. And I would like to speak to him because he's arrogant enough to kind of allow you that. I wish they'd let us do interviews like that. That's an obsession that I've got. Also, I think I'd like to interview Mick Philpott because he's such a narcissist, but I still think I could push his buttons. So they would be two. And then, of course, you know, Brady. You know, if Brady had been available, I would have loved to have spoken to Ian Brady. On a previous episode of the podcast, we had Mark Billingham in. Really? And he had... um... He did a show on Ian Brady, mm. and Ian Brady sent him some letters. He did indeed. Which was uh, I know about that. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. For, for, for to hear that, you know, live to somebody who's actually interacted with him. Of course, Brett Bedner, Ian Brady, and uh, indeed Mick Philpott. You can see shows all the time on Crime Investigation. Absolutely. Prince Lucky Taboos. It returns. Emma, thank you so much. It's for been today. a pleasure. Thank you. Don't leave it too long next time. If people want to get in touch with you, say hello. What's the best way of doing that? Well, you can get in touch with me on my Twitter, which is Emma Kenny TV, or you can go on my website, which is ekenny.co.uk, and you can get in touch with me on the contact page. And also read my blogs and see some of my videos. Go do it. Thank you so much. Oh my god, pleasure. What a pleasure it was. Thank you so much to Emma for coming on the Crown Investigation podcast. And for the fans of her, we know there's a lot of you out there listening right now. Do not worry. It won't be another year for her to come on the show. She'll be back very, very soon. If you like the podcast, get in touch. We're on Twitter at CI. Search for us on Facebook, CI UK. Get involved. Tell us what you want to hear, what you want us to talk about, and more importantly, what you want to say, because we want to feature all the CI superfans. So get involved, and let's start a mini-revolution together. But for now, the Crime Investigation podcast is over. Until next time, stay curious. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.